Welcome to Club Management. I'm your host, DJ Shannon, and on this show, we talk to artists, DJs, and industry professionals on how they're changing their community through music. You can listen to the show on any platform like SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Just type Club Management. And this is episode 66. Welcome back to another episode of the Club Management Podcast. We're back with a very special episode of the pod, and I'm just so excited. Let's get into it. I want to give a big shout out to the team at Nowadays for letting us have the space to really have a great conversation about something that I thought needed to be talked about, especially as the world continues to change and the economy struggles to bounce back from the pandemic. Artists are just facing so many new challenges now that things are slowly recovering and they're quickly finding new ways to adjust to this difficult time. I invited some heroes in New York's music community to share how they have been weathering some of the economic ties post-pandemic and how we can improve some of the structural challenges present in our community and beyond with so much going on in the background from inflation and this impending recession. So you're going to hear some lovely, lovely stories from Courtney Woodward, who DJs under the moniker Rose Courts here in New York City. I mean, she's just an absolute gem to the community. And she actually kept dance floors moving outside during the pandemic with her traveling party sweet kicks. We're also going to hear from nightlife legend Nita Aviance about the changes she has seen cultivating nightlife over the last decade here in NYC with the legendary Carry Nation events. And last, we have producer Dr. Jeep, an artist who's been banging dance floors with his bass-filled genre-bending tracks. But before we listen in on the live recording, I just wanted to give a heads up. I got so happy (laughs) during the panel that I forgot to give the audience members a mic during the Q&A portion of the event. But don't worry, in the show notes, I'll have all the questions that were asked uh, written down so that you can follow along. So without further ado, let's listen back to this live recording of the Club Management Podcast. For those who don't know me, I'll quickly introduce myself before we get into the panel. My name is Shannon. DJ Shannon is my artist's name because <laughs> I couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's really great to be back. Um, I was actually gone from New York City for about five years. I was out in China prior to coming back to New York at the tail end of 2019 teaching out there in China, heavily involved in the music scene, um, and actually just came back to visit at the tail end of 2019 and found myself stuck here because of the pandemic. So, uh, but honestly, I can't think of a better place to be stuck at with my family and with this incredible community here that we have in the city. Um, And yeah, you know, I think this is a really, really, really great time for us to just kind of put our heads together. There's a lot of good things, but there are still a lot of changes that need to be made structurally, systemically in the music industry here. Uh, And the recession and the pandemic has really just forged another challenge for us all. Um, I can't tell you how many horror stories I've heard over these last couple of months of artists having to cancel tours because of what's going on with the recession, not being able to get accommodations, or just the pay is not enough to even consider going on tour, right? Or in some instances, you have artists that get COVID and they don't want to 
put their fans or the people powering these events at risk. So we've got to put our heads together, put a plan in action, and I would love uh, for us to just sit and listen to our panelists tonight and how they're kind of weathering the storm and how we can push things forward. So I'm really excited to have you all here. <laughs> um, so before we jump into that part of the panel, I thought that we go one by one and get to know everybody that's up here. And I'll start with you, Andre. Uh, can you give us a little brief introduction of who you are? Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, my name is Andre. I produce music and DJ as Dr. Jeep. Uh, I've done this in a semi-professional capacity since 2010, so like 12 years now. Um, and I live around here in Ridgewood, and uh, I DJ on the weekends, and I have a full-time job, so uh, it's very exhausting, very stressful, but I love it, so I do it anyway. Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of us, right? Like, we love this thing, and we have our nine-to-fives outside of this, but we make time and put a lot of effort into what we do. Um, and Andre, I feel bad. I'm late to the Dr. Jeep train, man. You have been making so much incredible music over these last couple of years, but I actually got tapped into your music through your Unreal EP with Unchained. Uh, before I came back home, I was doing a lot of work with Unchained, so really interested to find out how you got connected with that crew out there. Um, yeah, so Unchained is a label that's based in China. Uh, it's run by a few expats that live in Beijing, I think. And uh, yeah, they just hit me up and they said, you know, we love your music, we'd love to do a release with you. And they are primarily a drum and bass label. And um, I make all kinds of music, but I feel like most people know me for drum and bass and jungle, um, mm -hmm. which is funny because I, like I said, I play a lot of kinds of music, but everyone kind of pigeonholes me as that. So um, this EP was one that came out in like April 2020, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but I made all the tracks like probably three or four years beforehand, uh, wow. which is a pretty common thing that happens. Like. I think that in most cases when producers put out music, it's almost never from the past six months. It's like many <laughs> years old and then someone just found it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it did pretty well and it got played by a bunch of DJs I really admire and respect. So quite happy with that. And um, yeah. 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 And then after that, it was the DJ Barkley, the collection, which I feel like I heard every single DJ play at some point in 2021 and still playing a lot of the crazy edits off of that project as well. Yeah, I mean, that's funny. That's like a project I did when I was, uh, I just graduated college in like 2012. And it was an alias I had that was meant to be for just Baltimore club edits of like house and rave songs. And it was um, the kind of thing where now it's like by an exponential margin, like the highest selling thing on my band camp. And I think it's just simple club tools that like are pretty accessible and that many different types of DJs can play. Mm -hmm. um, but it is kind of funny because I feel like I get like tagged in a video of someone playing it probably like every three or four days, which is <laughs> cra really crazy because these tracks are like 10 years old, you know, and it's like wow. in terms of production quality, it's like lower than like I'd consider I do now, but I guess the vibe is still there. So people still <laughs> like it. So uh, yeah, I love that people enjoy that. Um, and it's, always funny to like be in a place where I don't know the DJ personally and don't think they know who I am and then I hear it and I'm like, oh wow, okay. <laughs> this has gone farther than I thought. <laughs> yes, it honestly always hits every time I play it. Um, so thank you so much for that. Um, and I'm going to move over to you, Courtney. You are originally from the South, yeah? That's right, that's well, right. Yeah, what brought you up to New York City? Um, my job um, that I ended up actually leaving after six and a half years in December. Mm -hmm. um, so... Uh, up until, yeah, last December, same as uh, Andre, just doing the 
nine to five, really like nine to six, seven, eight, nine sometimes, uh -huh. and then, you know, off to the club. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, and found my way here um, when I moved from the Midwest, um, where I started working after I graduated college. Awesome. Um, I want to give a big shout out to you and a big thank you because when dance floors were completely shut down, you kept the party and the community going with Sweet Kicks, you, Alicia and Carl. Um, tell us about it. How did this come about and how did you all put your heads together to make it happen? Yeah, um, Shannon, that is a, a question that I love, love, love to answer because okay. um, I think it really highlights a lot of things that I really appreciate about this space and the community that we're in. The biggest one is community, right? Like uh, Carl and Alicia and I all met actually here uh, where we're taping this um, episode at Nowadays on the dance floor. So the love of music was really what brought us together. And uh, Carl is the genius behind the battery that powers uh, Sweet Kicks, which is our um, you know outdoor and then in the wintertime indoor community-focused uh, dance party that we started in the height of uh, pandemic before um, vaccines rolled out. So like April 2021 was, I think, our first... Uh, Sweet Kicks event, which was in a schoolyard in Bushwick, mm -hmm. uh, not far from here. And it actually just started because we started playing music really loudly. And <laughs> people came, kids were there, um, you know, folks, you know, just walking around the neighborhood. And that's really something that we've kept as a core part of Sweet Kicks, which has grown um, into, um, you know, the beautiful, like, dance party that it is today. Very wholesome, just playful um, vibes. Mm -hmm. And it was very healing, I think, for myself and a lot of a lot of people um, in our dance community who could just come to a free event with music loudly that we hadn't heard in like 18 months. You know, the clubs have been shut down for a long time. I think everyone is really going through it. Having been here yeah. through the pandemic in New York, it was really hard. Mm, you know, yeah. uh, so being able to be a part of bringing joy to people again and having a space to actually grow as a DJ too, um, in a in a comfortable, really fun environment. Right. Um, bring some of our favorite DJs from around the scene too. was like really, really amazing. Um, mm. Yeah. Yes, it was so special. I think one of the first week kicks that I attended was the one you did in, was it Prospect Park? Mm -hmm. In that little like forest area? Mm -hmm. The Vale of Cashmere. Yes. Yeah. And I remember the first time I went, that was the first time I had seen people in the community with no mask on. I was able to like... It, makes me tear up just thinking about it, was able to touch people, talk, mm -hmm. um, which was so beautiful to have after not seeing anybody uh, for, for that long. So thank you so much for just bringing the community what we needed. We needed the mu music to keep us together during <laughs> that time. You know? So thank you so much. Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you just recently took the leap of faith and you're doing DJing full time. Indeed. How <laughs> right. does it feel? feels wonderful. Um, it's... It's a lot of work, uh, too, um, and it's also a space where there doesn't seem to be, like, an end goal or destination, you know? We just do it for the love of music and want to be able to keep doing it, and I'm in a really amazing position. I honestly never really thought that I would be until, you know, I kind of said, hey, let me just try it and take the risk, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, that's definitely something I, I want to talk about with this group. Like, what does it mean to be DJing full-time anyway? What does success look like? And, um, how, you know, how do you navigate that through all of the changing realities that we 
you know, are facing now and, and will continue to in the future. Of course, we're gonna definitely get into that. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna move on to Nita. You, and I'm gonna stay with you for a second. <laughs> okay. I hope you're ready. Because <laughs> yeah, okay. you have seen the evolution of nightlife here in New York City from the 90s until now. I mean, I wish we had like four hours to go over that because that's a conversation in and of itself. Uh, but briefly, what are just some of the changes that you've seen? I mean, it's crazy because getting here in the late 90s, you kind of, we saw the end of it. You know, it's, it was the tail end of Giuliani and it was the tail end of these mega clubs and the quality of life campaigns were coming in and the music was changing and the drugs were so heavy and it was really starting to get to be a really dark period like from you know the the happy 90s times and you know and things were changing um and it's been so interesting to see the city as it evolves and the culture as it evolves cyclically over 20 some odd years mm -hmm. at this point because it always does everything always comes back around you know space gets made things die out new things grow yeah. and that's like that's the amazing thing about um the dance community is that there's always the need for us to gather it's never going to change there's always going to be new people um old people that want to you know, feel that sense of community and right. it's so necessary. And, you know, so there was always something going on, big, small, um, if you looked around in the right places. And that's what's really cool, especially now to see and to feel it, it feels like back then again mm -hmm. for the first time in a long time. And to say that, and I always joke about it. It's a long way for me to get to that place of really living for it. Because, yeah. you know, you get jaded. But, you know, but it is. It's really, it's incredible to see what, mm -hmm. the, uh, what everybody's done. Mm -hmm. uh, before we were uh, launched into the panel, you were telling me that you're classically trained. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I studied opera for, for quite some time um, as a vocalist. Um, and, yeah, I mean, music has always been a part of my life. I didn't necessarily think that um, DJing was going to be a career. Um, I kind of, be coming here at that time and looking at the landscape of things and I seeing things end, you know, it was seemed like a fool's errand to get mm. into something like this. You know, I collected records and I produced and, but it just was, it was a hobby. It was not something to pursue, but little did I know that things go around, you know, just, yeah. you know, there's always going to be this, this kind of thing. So I think that was a, something that made me lucky to just kind of keep doing it as long as it worked out, yeah. you know, because there was other things that I was like, okay, no, this is the real, this is the real job. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is fun. And keeping it that way, I was able to sort of create my own path of what it was going to be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Can you briefly walk us through your history with the House of Aviance? Um, I joined House of Aviance in 98, and um, I used to dance back up for Kevin. Um, I was one of the cunties um, <laughs> uh, all over the city. 
at the tri-state area and, um, and beyond. Um, and really it was just, that was a house for me, I think, because of the wide variety of characters there. Um, I saw um, an androgyny that I was looking for when I came to New York, um, a level of self-expression that was artistic in, in kind of an out there way. Um, and it was, yeah, and that was the crew, you know, it's just, that's sort of who I fell in with and, and it clicked, mm-hmm. it clicked. Yeah, so beautiful. I feel like there's so much happening right now with especially surrounding uh, Renaissance and there's a Renaissance, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. With Kevin yourself. Sure. Um, and it's beautiful to see that, but Beyond that, you have been doing so much for the community and the dance community, specifically with the Carry Nation. Um, and I was reading an article that you did with the New York Times where you talked about the chemistry that you have with Will Automagic and how you guys have this sort of octopus style of DJ, <laughs> which I had the honor of seeing in September when I was playing with uh, uh, Sorry Records for Good Room. Um, it is beautiful. I mean, you're on one deck, Will's on another. It's just really lovely. Can you tell us a little bit about that chemistry that you both have? I mean, we have we were fans of each other, um, kind of secret fans of each other too, for a long time. I mean, when I I used to, and I say sneak out, but when you know when we were with Aviance, you know, it was like you know you get dressed up, you go to these parties, but when we wanted to like just get down and dance, like in our sweatpants, we would go to the Wonder Bar, and I didn't know at the time, but Will was the DJ then, and so he was kind of like my first like really just sweaty dance floor education. Right. Um, you know, later he used to come and see me at my first residency, kind of in the back. I didn't really know. And, you know, so we kind of just, you know, were peers for a really long time. Um, and then we made a record together and we were like, oh, shit, we're going to get hired for this now. <laughs> so we better figure out how to play with each other. Right. And I think after the first, the first party, we started 45 minutes, 45 minute sets. And then it was half an hour, half an hour. And then it was two tracks, two tracks. And by the end, it was one. And it's been one for one for 10 years. Wow. <laughs> it's been like, it's crazy because there's, there's a level of risk that you, you can't rely on any of your tricks, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's exciting for us every time, you know? Right. You don't know what's coming next. I have ultimate faith that he's my favorite DJ, you know? So it's like, it's, you know, I, I know it's going to be great, whatever it is, <laughs> and we're going to figure it out because, and it's cool, you know, I mean, even during COVID, you know, when we were playing streams, not for a dance floor, the sounds expanded even further. We were able to get further and further away from each other in this style. Right. And then to come back, I think post-COVID, the the acceptance for a wider variety of mm-hmm. music on the dance floor right. is just citywide. It's nationwide. It's starting to get worldwide. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's the thing that we're going to, you know, that we're going to usher in over here. Mm-hmm. I really do think so, too. Um, and that's actually the perfect segue. 
um, I wanted to spend some time talking about how that period was for all of you and you know what you were doing during that time, whether you found new income streams or new ways to maximize what you do with DJing and production. Um, I'll start with you, Andre. Um, um, yeah, I mean, 2020 didn't negatively affect me financially that much because I had this pretty steady day job. I mean, I did, they did shop our hours and I made like less money, but I was also not going out and spending money on Ubers and drinks and stuff. So it didn't really matter that much. Yeah. Um, but I actually found it to be kind of a blessing for like a year to not have to like go anywhere and like worry about that because I think that so much of my life I've been preoccupied with like, uh, just like, oh, this weekend I have to DJ, I have to like think about this. And just having that clarity made me kind of reevaluate certain things in my life. So I got like really into like cycling, for example, and got like really into my, just my health and realizing that uh, health is wealth, you know, and like taking care of your body is really important. And um, mm. as the pandemic has kind of like weaned off, I guess, and, you know, restrictions are lifted and whatever, I find myself like cycling and working out less and then going out and staying up really late, not getting as much sleep. And I'm like, I definitely noticed the effects uh, in terms of just like my overall like mood. And I was like much happier back then, even though things were shut down and it was a bit depressing. It was kind of just like, okay, this is what living could be, you know, not having to stress about that. Um, in terms of streams, I mean, I did a stream for nowadays, but I personally was not super into the stream idea because I don't know, it's not the same energy as like having a crowd in front of you live. Yeah. And um, the few streams I did do, I wanted to prioritize things like the visual element. So with the nowadays one, for example, I worked with like a visual artist friend of mine to basically VJ the entire thing and it added a bit cooler of a you know visual layer rather than just like a DJ standing in their living room. Uh, like you're just like watching that. Yeah. Um, so I found that the streams that did have some innovative element to them, whether it's visuals or like, in, Interactivity, interactivity with the chat, like I thought those were really cool. Yeah. Um, but I, after a certain point, kind of stopped watching them because I was just like, I could just listen to a mix and <laughs> not have to like pay attention to this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and aside from that, I mean, I also produce music too, so there's like an income stream there where people are still buying your stuff on Bandcamp, and yeah. I found that people um, ended up kind of buying a lot more music on Bandcamp, which I thought was funny because no one's really playing out, but they just like, I got to spend money somehow, and my music is a way to support artists. And I feel like people saw that, you know, artists were struggling, and they are more likely to, like, give their money to artists. So that was, yeah. you know, shout out everyone at the debt. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I, it's crazy because it's only two years ago, but it feels weirdly now kind of like almost, like, ten years ago. Just It feels so long ago, and it's like kind of such, such a distant memory. It's hard to put my mind back in that. That place. Yeah, same here. Um, actually, I did a really good episode with the incredible DJ Voices about <laughs> mental health and taking care of yourself during that time period. And that was something that I was really prioritizing in 2020 was just exercising, whether that meant in my room or meditating, just to kind of take my mind off of what was happening. But that's something that I'm carrying in with me, you know, post-pandemic is that I really prioritize my sleep now. I'm eating better. And even at the club, I'm not drinking as much anymore. You know, like I'm fine with my Topo Chico and we're good to go for the rest of the night. <laughs> um, but how about you, Courtney? How were you weathering that storm during that time? Yeah, um, it was challenging, for sure. Uh, I felt like a lot of my like release, uh, avenues for release were 
stripped away and it really made me recognize um, how much more space I needed to make in my life for things like, you know, just self-care um, outside of um, club spaces or music, but also it highlighted how important that was, you know, for me. Um, and to be, like, totally vulnerable, like, I was, like, very depressed. Um, towards the end of 2020, I had to take some time away from my job, and that was really kind of the beginning of a real marked shift in how I just approached life itself you know a lot of the lessons that I took from the pandemic were like life's really short you know you could literally die tomorrow of course there's the things you used to think like you could get hit by a car or you know some random thing could happen or this pandemic could come and just shut everything down and you might just die you know um so why waste any time that's really a huge lesson that I took away um and I feel like my transition from 2020 into 2021 coming back into my job like I really had to establish a lot of boundaries that I had learned through therapy which has been extremely helpful for me um, but that also kind of translated into DJing because I recognized like I need that and it's really important I did some streams over the pandemic uh, mostly for you know fundraisers or like nonprofit sort of efforts mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't really the same but I did find that it helped me connect with people who I couldn't really reach in real life um, in a different kind of way. Like my mom tuned into some streams that I did, which was really cute. Yeah. She's like talking to my friends, like on the, in the chat. So, you know, there were some novelties with it that I thought were, were great, but ultimately, uh, yeah, it was a really challenging time, but I was able to sort of come out of that and say like, okay, what are the boundaries I need to set? how am I going to make sure that I never find myself in this, like, depth of, like, sadness and just yeah. uh, isolation again, you know? Like, I never want to go back to that space, um, but actively choosing to structure my life in ways that, like, maximize the time that I have every day um, I think that was a big shift it was kind of felt really easy you know you go out you see people but when you don't see those folks like what are your connections with people really like mm -hmm. how are you going to be intentional how are you going to actually show up for the values that you claim to you know espouse like all of that was questioned um, within the pandemic and coming out of that um, into 2021 I was like okay like I know what's important to me so um, I'm not going to let you know, my, my personal boundaries um, creep in a way that's not productive. And that's really translated into me just overall being a happier person that shows in your art as well, mm -hmm. you know, but not all times can be happy. So I appreciated moments where I found songs that I, had meant a lot to me for a really long time that just like made me cry in my house by myself, right. you know, like you need that. It's, it's for healing, you know. Um, so being able to, as Anita said, play music that's not necessarily just... Mm -hmm. you know, up, up, up and, and fast, but is, you know, what's the message that you're trying to say and how can you express your, your, your heart through your art? Um, that's that. what I learned through the pandemic. Yeah. I love that. Um, I quickly want to just kind of piggyback off of what you both said about the community online. It was crazy. Like That's how I got introduced to you, Shannon. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, dang, how did I not know about DJ? <laughs> yeah, that's how I discovered you as well. Um, and it was just really cool to just 
chat with people, right? Like as if you were sitting and talking to them in the room. And then I still keep in contact with a lot of the people that I was just, you know, kicking it with in the chat rooms every now and then. So it was really nice to build that community online and still have that presence offline as well. Um, what about you, Nita? I mean, I want to kind of piggyback on what you said too is about like setting boundaries, you know, because the hustle of this of this industry and this city in particular is so strong that it's really hard to ever shake it. You know, mm -hmm. having done this for 20 years, you know, when the pandemic hit and this, you know, speaking to a lot of people, they, you have this overwhelming feeling that you did something wrong mm -hmm. by losing all of these gigs because it's the thing that's kind of ingrained in you in this like nonstop hustle environment. And it's, you know, it's the, our society is the way that it's built. But especially in New York, in this industry, you know, clubs close, parties end, things move on, and you kind of never know when it's coming. So when something happens like that, you know, you, you get scared and you go into hyperdrive mode and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go figure it out. You know, there's like so many times, so many times I'll be working five nights a week and then the next week, nothing. Mm. Clubs close and all that shit. So you, you know, you hustle and you figure it out, but there was nowhere to go right. at that point. And, you know, you're kind of spinning your wheels. So the, the streams really for, for me and Will was, that was a saving grace for us. I mean, yes, I, I know people enjoyed it, but like that was for me, <laughs> for my sanity to, to be able to express myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one one day a month. Right. But coming out, you know, everything picks up so quickly again and you want to snatch all the gigs that you can. Yeah. But what really it became about, I think, for a lot of us is is deciding what's really the important gigs, you know, because there's, you know, there's these small gigs or these bigger gigs the ones that you aren't really excited about, but you're going to take it because it's good money and, you know, and you'll just get through it. But what does that do to you on the other end? Mm. You know, are you drinking more at that gig because you don't really want to be there? Right. Like, are you miserable when you come out of that gig? That stuff, that stuff comes across in the music mm. a lot. And it's, I think, to see a happier side of this dance music community, I think seeing so many people kind of embrace this, this ability to say no, and that there will be something else afterwards, mm -hmm. knowing that like as a creative individual, you are not gonna stop being a creative individual. It, it, will, it will go on, like, mm -hmm. and you'll find things that are better when you leave open that space. That's you know? beautiful, I love that. Um, do you both also feel that way, that you have more control over what you're going to say yes to and what you just don't feel or don't want to necessarily be involved in? Do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, I think that there was a period of time in my career where um, <laughs> I was just saying yes to everything because I just wanted as many opportunities as possible and I wanted as many people to hear the music. and. Right quickly realized that was not really the way to go and I was playing shows that I just wasn't happy at or I just didn't feel a connection to the crowd or community or they booked me because of music I put out like five years ago and I'm like that's not me right now mm. you know um, and so now I've been much more selective and um, I mean I 
I'm able to do so because it's not my main form of income. Um, and so I feel lucky for that reason. Um, but yeah, just putting a foot down being like, I'm not doing this. Like, even if it's really well paid, but I just, I'm not going to have a good time. And I think it's, I don't want to come out of the weekend just being like, oh, why did I do this crap? You know, like, <laughs> what am I doing here? Like, I'm just making the wrong decisions. So yeah, it feels great. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree with both of what, uh, Andre and Nita said, but I think thinking back to, uh, like I, I'm definitely the most junior DJ of the like group, um, have having started, um, you know, much more relatively recently than obviously, you know, <laughs> decades in the game. Yeah. Like, oh my God. <laughs> um, but, uh, I think those are all things that I've learned too. You know, like in the beginning, I mean, it's really exciting. You want to get out there and you want to, you know, put in um, the work and and showcase yourself as a DJ and those opportunities are exciting. But that's kind of a, a lesson that I've had to learn, too. Um, and what's the what's the point? What are we working towards in the future? I think if you know what if you have a, a, a strong sense of, of self or you know where you're trying to go, even as your art develops, um, that can help you really be finer tuned to be able to say yes or no to things because, you know, eventually, hopefully the things that are coming your way are really, you know, more tailored to you. Um, but it's a, it's a real balance. And I mean, to get those 10,000 hours to be, you know, a mastery of your craft, (laughs) I mean, like you could think about it like hustling and doing, you know, one, two, three hour gigs so often, but that's not going to be fully enough to get you there you know you have to put in the time outside of those spaces um and that can be important like if you're djing all the time maybe you're not giving yourself time to sink in with new music or to kind of recalibrate and say okay what are the lessons i've learned from all these opportunities so um i've definitely as nita said experienced the ebb and flow and sometimes that can be you know hard to look in the mirror and say like do i suck like does no one like me anymore like what's happening but also you know the in one way like maybe you can create things you know for yourself or opportunities for other people um through the things that you're doing or just take that time and maximize it like over pandemic i wasn't playing out but i did have time to just sit with my records yeah. you know right. i wasn't really digging on Bandcamp right. too much as i used to but like mm-hmm. You know, Bandcamp Friday, sure, you get the things in there, but it was really my records I spent time with, and that was the invaluable, like, time um, that I spent there. Yeah. Learning, like, learning about who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's, exactly. like, that's the other thing, I think, is when you're not, like, go, go, going all the time, you have the time to go out and, and hear other people. It's the most important part of mm-hmm. this. It's the most important part, I think, of creating a, a scene because you have to you you're part of the community mm-hmm. and it's it's everybody supporting each other along the way and you know it might be slow going but i think in the end when everybody does it together what that produces is really that that scene that everybody's feeling that you feel when you go to another city and there's just a vibe and you know you mm. and everybody is you know and new music comes out of this and people start mixing and it's just like the creativity flows when you when you mix it up <laughs> i agree uh collaboration all of that is key um yeah so let's talk about what we're seeing now with with what's going on with the economy um and how it's affecting the industry um courtney you um like i mentioned earlier 
jumped into this full time now. <laughs> um, and over the summer, you went to what the UK, yeah, yeah, Europe, a uh, little EU tour. Uh, I did uh, Berlin, Amsterdam, and London. Wow! And did you set this up? Totally by yourself, yes. yeah? Yeah, oh I not goodness. at present. I don't have an agent or anything. Never have, so. Jeez. Yeah. Challenging, yeah? Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. If you talked to me about the week before I left, like, I was, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> um, definitely uh, just a lot of moving pieces, and there were some things that, you know, got, like, booked while I was already, you know, overseas, so um, that was also really amazing. Like, sometimes, like, you, you don't always know what's coming or what's going to happen, mm. but, you know, you just go out, do the things you know are happening. But it was truly amazing. Like, I wasn't even calling it a tour until, like, other people did. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, I'm not going this trip. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, playing a couple things, you know. But it ended up being, like, you know, multiple times, like, just every weekend. Like, six gigs in, like, a little under a month. Um, and just a variety of a lot of different things. Radio, streams, clubs, um, and, like, bars with, like, cute. Okay. queer dance floors and it was amazing it was also over like pride in both Amsterdam and uh, Berlin so just feeling very like it, it was a beautiful time but you know to be able to do that was incredible like contribute to a scene you know so I tried to bring what I've learned like in New York and I think you know kind of getting back to what you were saying about community like I'm curious sorry to like co-op this That's too okay. but <laughs> I'm curious to know what y'all think about the community now like post-COVID because it definitely felt different and I feel like I've seen fresher voices like new folks getting into booking getting into DJing like mm. starting parties bringing in the different crews collectives working together and that's yeah. actually really exciting and something that you know I I saw as a, a bit of a difference in going you know to other places traveling outside of New York both in the U.S. and outside yeah it's, we have a really special kind of thing going on here and I think a lot of you know I look around a lot of people in, in this room that were you know taping this in and it's amazing to think, like, I, I know what you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, everybody's doing something amazing, but mm -hmm. I feel like, um, if, in some ways, it feels like there's more opportunity than there was previously to, yeah. like, COVID shutdown, but this year, 2022, looks different than 2021. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for yeah. Sure. And there's some real, yeah. It, it would always, people kind of get freaked out and there's you know oh this party can't exist on this night and you know we have to keep everything separate but it's not how it goes the more people that are going out the more people go out yeah. you know it spreads exponentially and the more clubs that open the more nights there are the more work there is for everybody the more parties you go to in a night and it really builds on top of itself so I think it's not like there doesn't need to be such fear anymore about, you know, we, you know, we used to have these calendars of like nobody can be on anybody else's night. And it was really scheduled because you couldn't you couldn't afford to have, you know, two of this part of the queer scene happening at the same time mm. because it would divide and everybody would kind of have this uh, half thing going on. Yeah. It's really not, it's not given that these days. <laughs> Thank God, you know. Yeah. It's yeah, out. it's funny. I remember like the, in 2021, the first time I'd been to like a house party since, you know, before the pandemic, walked up there, walked up to the roof, didn't know a single person. I'm like, who the hell are these people? Like, I've never <laughs> seen any of you in a club before. And now I see them all the time. So it's like, it's funny how the, the scene kind of changes or changed after the pandemic. Mm. Um, and, 
even for like more niche forms of music, I just am finding many more people into them, which is awesome because I there was a time, you know, early on, like ten years ago, I was like in college and I'd be listening to like these records by labels like Hessel Audio, which is now like a huge label that is like globally known. But yeah. I was like the only one in my college scene who like liked that and I was everyone else I knew like listened to like like there's good tech house and there's bad tech house. They're listening to bad tech house. And I was just like, where are my people here? But now I feel like in New York, it's like my people are, there's like a huge number of them. And I'm Everywhere, like, this is awesome. Yeah. I love this. And to your point about the parties in the same night, it's funny because I often think like if I'm booked somewhere in New York, like, oh no, but there's this competing night at nowadays and it's competing night at Goodroom, et cetera. But then sometimes there are a ton of people at that show anyway. It's like, it's New York is a huge city. Yeah, and you know, yes. it's, it's much bigger than you think. And the scene is much bigger than you think versus in a smaller city, like in Seattle or something, like there might only be two parties happening. It, the crowd's really divided half and half of those parties. Whereas in New York, there's people that go to 10 different parties uh, or just stay home and <laughs> relax yeah, for a weekend, which is important to do. Stay home if you need to. Yeah. <laughs> and Courtney, did you want to add to? Nope. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely have seen a lot of changes too. Um, honestly, for me, like I... Prior to coming back home, I didn't really know too many people in the scene, but when things opened up, I then had an opportunity to play, and there were open deck nights where you could go and just kind of practice and get a feel for what it's like to be behind the decks, which was super inclusive. Um, and then, yeah, just got a chance to meet everyone. I think I also went to another uh, house party deal, and I think, Devoy, you were going B2B with uh, Bossy Boots at some point. <laughs> that was a really fun um party so it it definitely feels alive it feels like there's a lot of energy a lot of good energy to do new things in the scene here that I can't wait to see happen it's already happening right um but yeah so you know there's good things but there are some things that still need to change um I want to stick with the touring bit for a little bit because I do see a lot of artists saying that it's hard right now to organize tours because of what's going on with soaring inflation but I'm wondering have you all been impacted by that at any point yeah, yeah I mean for sure we've I think we just canceled our third European thing mm. this year because it's it's just cost prohibitive. It's not, you know, you get to a certain place. And this is also part of the, like, the saying no, you know, to, mm -hmm. to things. Right. You know, I, we're not young anymore. And, you know, and we're not staying on couches because it's just you can't do that. And you have to have a certain amount of flexibility and a certain amount of time to travel for your body to recover yeah. from these things. And, you know, to kind of be pumping through this thing. And I envy, you know, I envy the youth. And I remember those days where, you know, you're just like, I'm out here and you're, I'm here for a month and I'm everywhere. And it's so great. And, but it, it does, you know, things haven't changed. Fees aren't going up. Mm. That's for damn sure. Let's talk about and it. And like, <laughs> fees aren't changing. Like, and you go to another city. I think, you know, what we're lucky here in New York, because it is really thriving right now, you know, we're sort of getting used to a better, a better system right. and to go back into to this other space I don't think it's necessary I think this is the time where we need to be focused 
at home. This is, you know, it's back to the thing of talking about, you know, where these scenes get created and the new music gets created and, you know, and like new classic records. Like how do new classic records get made if there's not people playing all the time with each other, going out, you know, and say, saw you at basement, you was turned it, <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and everybody's mixy and you get to, you know, you all get to be experienced the same thing. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for what's happening right now mm -hmm. because it does, it fluctuates and, right. you know, and inflation will go down and there will be a boom and there will be a bust and then we'll start the whole thing over again. Mm, this is very true. Um, Andre, I know that you were telling me that you went to Portland, then you went to Canada, then you had to come back for work. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this weekend I went, uh, I played in a city called Calgary, which is like in the kind of northwest, of Can well, it's like central northwest of Canada. That's like five hours away flying. I had to wake up at like five in the morning on Friday to do that and take a day off work. Um, and played there. Next day I played in Portland, which is like two hours away, and then I came back on Sunday and left Portland at like 2 p.m., got back to JFK at like 11.15, and then had to like fight for a car because there's 100 other people looking for an Uber, uh, and got home at like 12.30, and then I had to wake up at 8. So uh, yeah, it's not fun to do that all the time. And so I have to limit myself where I can't do like many successive weekends in a row of traveling, because yeah. uh, I will just go crazy. Like, I mean, the Monday is always like a wash, basically. I mean, <laughs> no one in my job like knows this. Well, I guess they will know now, but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's really tough. And uh, I think to, to your point about touring being difficult, like the flights are getting much more expensive too, mm -hmm. which is an issue because if the fee stays the same and then the flight gets more expensive, you make less money. Yep. And so the fee kind of has to go up a little bit so that the artist makes the same amount of money as beforehand and that means increased ticket costs and people aren't always willing to pay like 40 bucks to see one dj you know yeah. that's that's kind of cost prohibitive but that's the economics of it and that's how the promoter has but that's what they have to do to like not lose money so it's a kind of a bad cycle there where everyone is going to have to pay more and make less uh and that kind of sucks it's crazy just to interject yeah. like when i moved here and started going out on a saturday night it was 25 dollars mm. and now it's $30. It's like, you know, how many years later? It's still the same price because people, that's what people can afford. And that's that. And it has to, you know, you got to figure out how to work around it in other ways. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you don't. You don't want it to be cost prohibitive for mm -hmm. people. You need everybody. You need access for everybody. So, you know, it's tough. Yeah, it's very tough. Um, that's actually something that I want us to kind of put our heads together and find some solutions for because standard right now, I would say, is 25, 34 ticket, which, yeah, can be a bit pricey for folks who don't necessarily have the cash to spend. Um, but, you know, one venue that I think does ticketing very well is the place that we're sitting in right now, nowadays. Um, I really love that there's the RSVP uh, option that you RSVP the night before, you can get reduced tickets. Uh, same kind of rule of thumb applies for Sundays. Um, and I would love to see more venues adopt that same thought process to make things, you know, fair and, um, you know, affordable for everybody, you know? Um, some other things that I had, I wanted to mention the pay issue. I mean, I can't believe that we're still <laughs> going through this. You know, that was one thing. Sometimes I kind of key into the Twitter beef and what's going on on social media. <laughs> but that was one thing that everyone was crying about during this uh, pandemic was like, hey, what's going on? 
we need to be able to sustain ourselves. How are we going to make this more equitable and fair for everybody? And to be quite honest, it's really disappointing to see a lot of artists either not getting paid fairly or not getting paid at all. Um, Or waiting very long. Um, I won't mention the name, but back in the spring, I did a pretty, you know, cute little stream for a popular shoe brand. And I had to wait five months Mm -hmm. to get paid. You know, one week, two week, understandable, you know, but five months? That's crazy. That's crazy. (laughs) So, yeah, we got to put our heads together. Um, Staying on the topic of pay here, how are you guys negotiating right now in this kind of rough economic time that we're in? Uh, I have an agent that's the bad guy that does that for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and he's a good friend of mine, and you know he believes in me and has like a certain vision which I'm totally aligned with, and so I totally trust him. And when even when he says. You know, if a party wants to book me and like, let's say it's a ton of money, but he's like, this is this would not be a good look for you for X Y Z reason. You're like, this would be kind of like a step back right. in terms of like what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I usually agree with him, so uh, that's good. But yeah, I'm way too shy to be negotiating this kind of stuff. I'll be like, oh, I'll do it for nothing. I love playing music, but <laughs> at the same time, then I'll do that and I'll be like, why did I do this? Like, I totally regret that. So yeah, uh, yeah luckily I have someone to help me out with that. But um, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. What yeah. about you, Courtney? Um, so I'll provide a little perspective as someone who does not have an agent and is doing that fun. That's a huge sarcasm. Like, that's not fun. It is <laughs> the least fun part, I think, can be in negotiations. And sometimes, like, you're going to... Well, I'll speak from my own experience. I've definitely encountered, like, just... <laughs> Shannon, we've talked about this, like, outside of the podcast. Like, one... I would say offensive uh, offer came through, and it's just like, how do you ma- how do you navigate that? Because if it's for something like that's exciting or kind of aligns with your goals, but is actually not in any way like respectful and low key like exploitative of the artist, like how do you navigate that? Or let's say you're doing something for the first time, right? Like you are playing outside of you know your city that you live or uh, you're playing, you know, a, a different type of event, like a music festival, you know, or, you know, a, a, some, like, corporate, you know, shoe brands sort of, like, live stream, right? Mm-hmm. What is fair? What's your rate? How do you establish that? How does that change over time? You know, yesterday's price isn't today's, but what seems fair? And I think a huge thing that's been helpful for me is just talking to other people. You yeah, have to exactly. be transparent. You have to share, like, what you're being offered because, you know, Sometimes if you don't know, uh, then you don't know, right? right? So it's like, well, they're coming to me and I'm trusting them. So maybe that is what, you know, people are actually getting paid. Or it's like, no, it's actually, you know, for example, ridiculous to offer someone, let's say like $150 to play like hours outside of their, you know, like resident, like city, where you also can't do anything else an entire weekend, you know, like, does that make sense? And yeah. is that even, like, what's, like, the base kind of, you know, rate that people should even be talking about if we're right. talking money, right? I sat in on a really, really helpful panel discussion put on by the Music Workers Alliance uh, that had a few different uh, panelists talking about, you know, negotiating fees and rates. And, you know, that was incredibly helpful, just yeah. having people say... I'm a producer, I'm a booker, I'm a DJ, here is how I think about putting par- putting on parties, what are the kind of expenses I need, and like, how do I talk to, 
you know, uh, artists or talk to promoters that are trying to book me and say no. But the hardest thing is actually saying no, you know, (laughs) advocating for yourself because no one else is going to do it. You know, everyone's looking out for their bottom line. Yes, there's inflation, but like if we really want to talk about the economics of DJing, like Andre, you had a really great Twitter thread that really laid it out. Like it's very hard. If you want to sustain yourself entirely on DJing in New York, there's some other stuff that has to, you know, be a factor. Maybe you're independently wealthy, maybe you have another job, or, like, maybe you're at that level where you're getting paid enough to pay your rent, but a lot of people have to tour. That's also very time-consuming and exhausting. And it is becoming, you know, harder and harder with inflation. So um, I think a huge thing is transparency. Just people have to talk because... Uh, you can easily get taken advantage of, especially if you're newer. And there's always the concern that, oh, well, someone else will come in and accept less. But if we're all lifting each other up, then people shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) 100% agree. No, it's true. And I think it's different. You know, I've seen it with the younger generation. Like, we never talk about this stuff because everybody knew they were getting screwed over Mm. and nobody wanted to be the first one to say, I'm getting screwed over. This is a shitty business with lots of shady people in it and they are going to take advantage of you because you know what? The next person is going to come along and they just want to have fun and play music. And really, you'll probably do it too because you don't want to leave that space for the next person. When is my next gig going to happen? But even to this, even to this day, I've noticed with, with my peers, my age, you know, we have a lot of trouble even talking about that stuff. Mm. And it's, you know, and that really is a spot for people to take advantage. And, right. you know, and it is, it is about talking about all of it, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, fees in New York, whether it is touring fees, whether it's corporate fees. And this is stuff because I think as artists, it's so hard to value ourselves in the first place, Mm -hmm. which is like, please just just listen to me, you know? (laughs) And that's all we want. And that is enough so much, so many, so much of the time, you know? But once everybody comes in and everybody sets the bar here, Mm -hmm. that's it. You can't change it, you know? And you have to, another thing, about, you know, as a promoter, on the promoter side of this, when you pay people properly, mm-hmm. you get loyalty. Yeah. Period. Like, when you are grateful for the, the work that they're doing for you, because this is a lot of shitty work. It is hard. The hours are long. Yeah. And you're dealing with a lot of fucked up assholes. And that is just it. And those are the people you work with. <laughs> you know, but seriously... <laughs> But you just, it's, it's, it's hard. It really is, and it's, and it's draining. And when you, know, when you lift other people up, when you pay people properly, then they take that to the next gig, and they say, oh, no, I am worth this much. Yeah. And this is my rate now. Mm-hmm. And then the next person says, okay, and it goes, and it flows real fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That shit does change really quickly. That's one of the biggest things that I've seen changing over the, from, pre-COVID to now, is everybody coming together to talk about that stuff. Yeah, and being transparent, right? I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, Being transparent, talking about rates, um, I really, really do think that's a beautiful thing. Um, I actually want to float back to the Twitter thread that I saw you put up, Andre. It was really, really good. Can you just, like, 
tell yeah. people about it? Yeah, sure. So um, the other day, I was at work, and I was bored, and I was like, how can I waste some time? So I did a thought experiment, <laughs> and I was thinking about um, just friends of mine who did this you know, full-time or who like come to America from the UK, for example, and like play shows as like, their main source of income, right? And so I did some research, and I found out that the average salary of a Brooklyn resident, and this is an average, right? So it's skewed by people that make a ton of money, but the average salary is $60,000 a year, right? Which some people may seem low, some people might seem really high, but that's just a number, right? So I said, okay, if you were a full-time DJ in New York, how much or how many gigs would you need to play and at what rate to make that money? So basically, um, what I calculated was that if you make $600 a gig, which is kind of a lot, actually, for most (laughs) people, honestly, you have to play twice a week, every single week, the entire year, I guess with two weeks off, right? 50 times 600. Um, and that is a uh, 100 gigs in a year is a lot of gigs. Ooh, I mean, yeah. I personally play 20 maybe, and I feel like that's almost too much. But then again, I also have to like juggle this other thing. But um, And it was funny because I posted this and I was like, all right, well, that's 60,000. Like, let's say you wanted to like, you know, you're a bit older, you wanted to like live alone or you wanted to have some savings or whatever. Let's say you want to make, you know, 80 or 100k right. uh you know you can make a thousand dollars a gig every single gig like who that's not possible <laughs> i mean I, I don't know like i'm not i think that um i've never been like a like local resident dj playing like every week anywhere right. i have no idea like what those kind of djs make honestly i would like guess and maybe this is a laughable amount like for like a six hour set at a bar like 500 bucks i don't know like is that a reasonable amount like i have no no concept of this but even then it's like <laughs> that twice a week every week that's crazy i feel like the only way to make that kind of money would be to have like really big corporate gigs where you're, you know, DJing the like yeah. Ferrari showroom or something, and it's like sponsored by so and so. But people like don't post about those because they're kind of embarrassing to play sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah. But many DJs that I know in America, at least, that do this full time, like do do that stuff, and they just do not share it on their social media because it's mm-hmm. like. I mean, it could be cool, but it could be also kind of cringy. So. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe they just want to keep the plug quiet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, but it was funny, though, because I feel like a lot of the, I got, like, a lot of responses on that tweet, and a lot of people were like, who makes $600 a gig in New York? And, uh, like, regularly. You know, that might happen, yeah. like, every so often for, like, a well-paying show, but I feel like, in general, for most people, the range is probably somewhere between, like, 250 and five, 600 maybe. Yeah. Where 600 is, like, on the high end, right? So, like, you're, yeah. you're hitting the high yeah. end, every single show, twice a week, all year, and taking two weeks off. Like that's, but that's also yeah. assuming you even can play two times in a weekend, right. every right. weekend, yeah. because right. you have like a, you've got exclusivity clauses, radius clauses, like all those points. And I know you tweeted about this too, Nita. Like, let's talk about it, because you know sometimes it's like, great, I have this amazing opportunity, it's paying like fine, but that means I can't play for two weeks in New York. If I'm not yeah. playing outside of New York, then hope, you know, that's, that's going to be kind of it. So if you're trying to like make your living, pay your rent off of DJing, that's very challenging. Mm-hmm. Like period, it's just very, it's just really hard. Quickly, can you just tell folks what an exclusivity clause is? Yes. Yeah, so an exclusivity clause is a uh, clause, like an agreement with a venue, uh, saying like, let's say for um, I'm playing X club, I'm not, I cannot play let's say one, two weeks in New York um, before that date, and any parties uh, I'm playing in New York can't be announced after after that date, can't be announced until, like, let's say, after the party or, you know, um, the same day of, of um, that party. A radius yeah. clause is generally a clause stating the same stipulations, but based on the geographic area. So if you're playing this club, then you can't play any of these clubs that are kind of nearby within a certain number of weeks. Sometimes that's before, sometimes that's, you know, after. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a definitely a tricky one. Did you want to add to that, Nina? I mean, that's the thing that's, you know, it goes to crunching the numbers and it goes to, you know, being a working artist in the city. Having time to be free enough to, to do that and having the opportunity to do that if you so choose. That's the thing, you know? If you want to work a day job and you want to DJ less, that's great. You should have the opportunity to do that. If you want to work four or five nights a week, you should also have the opportunity to do that because there are bars, there are smaller things, there are, there, there's all kinds of opportunity out there. And to limit people's uh, experience or potential to just work, Mm -hmm. It really seems ridiculous to me. I remember when Carrie Nation was starting, you know, and it was a really small party, and we would have friends come in from out of town, and, you know, and we're paying them as much as we can, and they're staying on somebody's couch, and, you know, and it's tough. And, you know, you don't want them to go play somewhere else, yeah. but at the same time, this is your friends, and what would you want? What would you want? You'd want to be able to go to something because what you're going to do over at this one party is not going to be what you're going to do at the other party. Because right. every night is completely different. And, you know, as, you know, as you get bigger, when, you know, you get to be a club or you get to be a bigger promoter and you have the opportunity, you know, it starts to reek of insecurity. And that's the thing that we're the DJ has become the promoter, the, the graphic designer, yeah. every single other job but just DJing. And the art suffers as far as I'm concerned, you know? It's, it's, it's a much harder thing. It's not what we're built for. It's not what musicians are built for. It's, yeah. you know, and you know, musicians are built to play music. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I'm wondering, do you all need a break or anything? Did you want to stop, get some like something to drink, or you want to keep going? Keep going? <laughs> I like that. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about it then. Do you, I actually spoke to Jada Lorraine about this on an episode of Club Management, actually, uh, and she was saying that she feels like there should be a standard, a standard fee for everyone that, you know, that's that, regardless of level, there should just at least be a minimum fee that everyone gets. If you could think of a number, do you think there's a minimum fee that a DJ should be asking for in the community? $100 an hour. And I think that it's kind of wild to say that, but I think that that is what it needs to be. And because when you crunch the numbers of alcohol sales, then you will really see how much places are making. Mm. And that's what it comes down to, you know? And I think, you know, you can, you can, you have to start to value things differently, you know? When you're within your small community and you're working with your friends, you value the camaraderie. Right. That has great value. The, the, um, you're working with maybe an older DJ, the education, that has great value for you. That's when you don't take a greater fee. But when you're just getting booked by big venues or big promoters, right. it should be flat. It's a flat rate. Gotcha. Did you want to add to that? 
I almost feel like that's like too low. I feel like it should be like 150 an hour. I mean, okay, let's say, I mean, the average DJ set, let's say it's two hours, you know? It's but two it's, hours now. But the amount of preparation and like work that goes I mean, still thinking about that. like when we're, you know, working for six hours a night, you know, this is like, you know, at a bar, you know, right. this is the thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you but you don't want to be paying, you know, $200 to play a six hour set. No, no, no. Right. That's right. So You're not like, getting paid two hundred dollars to play the six hour set. This is just why we're talking about a minimum mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. you know? Because mm-hmm. when you go to a bigger club, yeah, absolutely, it should be way greater than that. And but you know, if we're gonna be saying it's a minimum, well, what are you gonna do when you go to a bar? And then you're gonna then you have to change, you have to go lower. So mm-hmm. you have to set it somewhere to start. Gotcha. You know, if you're playing these these all night gigs. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about in terms of, oh, yeah. What do you think of bar percentages? Oof. Ooh, oh, that, that is messy. Yes. Yeah. I'll believe it to y'all. Messy. <laughs> I personally don't love it. That's just my opinion. I'd like, cause you just don't know. Yeah. And what's difficult is like, I have seen some wild numbers for what the fee, what you end up getting paid for like what you do. Yeah. You know, so they never show you the map. They no, show, no, yeah, you the, need to see the math. Or sometimes when you do, it's just like, dang, that actually was just a bad deal. You know, <laughs> so uh, bar percentages, I think, very challenging because uh, you could get paid or you, you might not. And that doesn't even necessarily reflect how great of a job you did, how like fun the night was for people. Like maybe it's just a slow, like there's factors outside of your control. So, yeah, I, I personally find bar percentages to be very challenging. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, it's, especially it's if you're throwing a party and you're, to you're take trying advantage. to yeah, yeah, it's just really, it's messy. Mm-hmm. I, uh, we have often just tried to keep things separate because when you do have a split with, with, the, with the bar and you, they take some of the door and you take some of the bar, they also have some of the say on how things get promoted and how things, uh, who gets books a lot of times. You know, you may get a couple of your people and then you have to get one of theirs because they're working with some agents or something like that. You know, when you work, uh, when you work strictly off the door, then you have control over um, a flexible uh, admission rate that is determined, you know, a lot of people have been working with different concepts of this, mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, you know, just a, a sliding scale, you know, right. admission rate. Mm-hmm. And then you get to have ultimate say on how you're paying people out at the end of the night, okay. you know, and that's where you get to, you get to have complete control over everybody's fees. You know, that's where you can do it properly for your community. Mm-hmm. Keep it all in your hands. Yeah. And that's like, um, there's also, you know, DIY parties as well. Like with Sweet Kicks, how we pay our DJs is like through, like we are like totally funded through like donations. So we run off of like tips and that's how we pay folks. But we are very transparent up front. We try to have a base and then we can go higher if we have more tips that are split. But like we're not making money from it. You know, we don't pay ourselves. <laughs> we pay the people who we book, and, yeah. you know, we're able to do that with, with that community-focused party. But that's different from a club. That's different from a bar. Um, and it also varies different nights of the week as well. Um, mm. So that's also something to really think about. Like, just what's, what's the opportunity what's the value? Because um, sometimes, like, 
you know, you said it really is worth it, even yeah. if it's like less, like it's not always about the dollar amount. You just always want to make sure you're not getting exploited and you're not being taken advantage of. That's the main thing because it will happen. Um, mm-hmm. Again, everyone's thinking about this as a business, but it's like, I hate to say this, but you could think about DJing as, you know, a business as well, right? Like, what is the work that I'm putting in? I have to get there. Do I, am I bringing records? Yeah, so I have yeah. to Uber. I can't bike unless I, you know, have a smaller amount of records that I'm bringing, right? So that's a cost. I'm also maybe investing money in, like, picking up some new records or some tracks off Bandcamp, yeah. supporting the homies for this, right? If I'm doing a mix, am I playing stuff I already have? Or am I getting new things? That's also labor you're doing for free, so. How late am I staying out? Exactly. What's going to, what's tomorrow going to be like? Do right, I lose yeah. a day? Do right. you, you know, is it, or am I traveling for a whole extra day right, on right. either side of the gig? You know? Right. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the stuff. All things you, you have to think net about. positive for yourself. And, mm-hmm. But you have to weigh all of those things. It becomes really personal mm-hmm, on right. that. Actually, right. I'd like to stay with this topic. I mean, thinking about DJing as a business, uh, what are you all doing to kind of legitimize what you, your, your artistry? Do you have an LLC, a business account set up? How does that work? Anybody? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one tip I thought was helpful was that you can expense your Bandcamp purchases. Yeah. Taxes, you can yeah. expense, yeah. expense a you lot can of expense things. So many things. Yeah. If you, you know, it, getting a getting somebody to do taxes for me was the best decision ever. Somebody that actually works with artists that understands, and this is a thing that I think this community could also really use is somebody within the community that understands this this side of the business yeah. because there is so much gear that you buy that you keep over the years you can write off year after year at a decreased percentage mm-hmm. you know who knew like yeah, i didn't know until exactly. last year <laughs> no good and tip. it's you know right. it's 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 still valuable. It still has value, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Make sure you keep all your receipts. Um, mm-hmm. I use QuickBooks to keep everything kind of clean. And yeah. so whatever I spend on my business card, it already tracks. And I just give it to my accountant at the end of the year. And I don't even think about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. I started an LLC this year, and that was super helpful. But if I could give anyone any tips tax-wise, like, just keep track of it <laughs> throughout the year. Do not wait. It is so painful. Try and find, like... Like, how, where did I spend on this? And like, Which oh, Uber like, was this? Exactly. Like, <laughs> where was I going? Oh, I bought records and it's cash only, so I literally can't write that off because I didn't take a note of it, you know? Exactly. So don't delay. Keep keep on it. Treat it like, you know, a business. Keep a running log because um, taxes are very painful. Mm-hmm. Get that money back. Get that yes. money. You can, you know? You definitely yeah. need You can, it. though. You can. And there, yeah. there, because there is, there's a ton that you can write off and it's really, like, yeah, shout out to the accountants out there. Come help, <laughs> come help us out. Um, yeah, actually, I mean, the gentleman was asking questions, but please feel free if you have any questions that you'd like to ask. Yes. That's a, that's a beautiful question. Yeah. Oh. Too much. Way too much. Too damn much. Way too much. Way too much. And I'm actually going to add to that. Do you feel like it's harder to market yourself now that things are kind of up and running compared to uh, pre-pandemic? I hmm. think it's only gone. I think you, you, you've only been asked to do more as time has gone on. 
Mm. We've only been required to, to do more and more and more. Mm. And that's yeah. just, yeah. that's the way that it's gone. I mean, there's just too many DJs now. It's like the competition, <laughs> it's like, how do you stand out in this feed of like, static flyers, right? Like, I see people, oh. like, my entire Instagram like, feed is just like a flyer of something. And so it's like, Okay, then you gotta post a selfie. Oh, and I right. feel cringy exactly. posting oh, selfies all the time. Yeah. You gotta do it. You know, yeah, it's like <laughs> the you know social media and the algorithms are kind of screwing us over because they're making yeah. it constantly adapt and change. And now it's like videos instead of static posts. And so, um, yeah, it is hard. I mean, I like many years ago, I got someone to design like a like a brand for my alias, Doctor Jeep. Basically, like a hexagon with like a skull inside of it. But now it's nice because I can just hand that out to a promoter, and they can just use that on marketing assets. And so it's like less work for them and less work for me also because I use that consistency, and it develops a certain kind of like name brand recognition. Um, mm. But in terms of people like scheduling posts or anything, no. But I like I personally just enjoy the act of um, working every single night because I'm an idiot, um, <laughs> and I like will make like animated things for shows or whatever and. Does it pay off? Not really, but it's also just a good artistic practice and it's fun. Um, and I think that's maybe, hopefully, slightly more engaging than just a picture of myself, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the marketing requirement is tough. Like, I, prior to, like, DJing, where I really needed to share broadly so people, like, know what's going on, which I had to get over a whole, like, Ugh, like I'm advocating for myself, uh, self-promotion, <laughs> this is weird, you know, like the, the, there was a whole kind of shift that I had, it's like, hey, I want my friends to come, like people are like, why aren't you telling us, you know, but before that I used to probably post maybe like nine things on Instagram a year, you know, like it just, that was not something that I really spent a ton of time like focused on and to Andre's point, like the algorithm and all the hacks you got to do just so people see what you're sharing, I don't yeah. really love like that element of it. Um, if anything, I wish it could be like Helena Hoff, who's just out here, like no smartphone, mm -hmm. no social media anywhere. Like, and she's one of the biggest DJs in the world. You know, like just <laughs> yeah. Because when you are able to free yourself of like the concerns that come with social media, again, you're just, I think, able to really sink into your artistry. Like, I, I want to focus on, you know, prepping for my gigs and making sure I'm technically great and just like, you know, connecting with folks, not worrying about like, oh, you know. That's I got to post this, this, or that. I literally don't have that many selfies. Like, I, <laughs> how do I do it? So, I think so, that's so, to so. your point earlier exactly. of, like, coming out of the pandemic and, mm -hmm. and advocating for your own time, your yep. own sanity, and your own health and well-being, you yep. know? Mm -hmm. Knowing that you have to do all these extra things that are, that are added on, mm -hmm. you know, how many hours are you actually working, right. you know, for the job? You know, right. and that then what is the fee? Right, actually, right, that you know? part, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was getting to earlier. Is like you know, hundred bucks an hour is one thing, but it's like the amount of hours you spend digging for records, preparing a record box, like just learning the tracks, mm -hmm. uh, traveling to the yeah, gig. I still have like, this like old like bar hustle mentality. So you know, <laughs> that's all right. The old girl. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there are just to your question, some other things to do, like make things work for you. Like I made a link tree this year, which sounds simple, but it's just like, here's a place where anyone can just go with the top of my profile and see various things that help, you know, highlight who I am as an artist that speak for me. Same with having an EPK, which is an electronic press kit, also super helpful. Yeah. Um, just making sure like the things that you have that, you know, say who you are, like actually represent you, you know, well, um, can really help, um, mm -hmm. you know, from a, from a 
artist standpoint? Like, what are people looking to see? Um, if you want to work with a particular group or an agent or, you know, grow as an artist or highlight certain things about your skill or practice or, you know, share your music, like, what are the ways that you can do that but do it in a way that's the least, like, taxing and has the most, like, return on your investment? Mm-hmm. I got to say, I'm not a big fan of social media. <laughs> I really, it just like being on there throughout the pandemic, even just maybe not hit it even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do have to use it to keep in contact with, you know, fans, promote shows that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to build a, you know, symbiotic relationship with it. <laughs> um, but I definitely feel that. Now let's talk about some other kind of paid opportunities that, you can also use to maximize with DJing or pair with producing as well. Um, I think that people should be getting paid for mixes. And I would like to say, ideally for radio, I know that that can be tough at times, but mixes, you should definitely be getting paid for. Yep. Yep. Agreed. I mean, the amount of time that goes into a mix sometimes. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Especially yeah. if it's like a hot, like big platform thing where this is like this could change your career. It's yeah. like I've spent like sixty hours on a single mix before, and ironically, the ones I spent one hour on are the ones that get the most plays. But so, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying don't put work into it, but it just it can be work if you like really mm-hmm. care about the craft and really want it to be like a f- polished product. Yeah. Uh, so I totally agree with you. They should be paid. Yeah. yeah. yeah did, you, did you do one for Mixmag not too long ago? or? Uh, yeah, in like July. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay. Did they reach out to you or did you approach them? Um, yes. The journalist that interviewed me just happened to know my music and just wanted to do an interview. And of course I said yes because it's like a huge platform. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was great. Okay, good. Um, anybody wanted to add to that? or? I think the cool thing that... Um, that we realized we started a label over uh, COVID. Um, it's really just like a project to, to uh, once again, to save us. But we never really realized how much of an opportunity that was, how much control that you actually have mm-hmm. over your own stuff. You know, we've always had been releasing through, you know, other, you do the work, you have the label, I don't know how to do this. And... To then, you know, to come out with, you know, a couple releases and make the same amount of money that, you know, of the payout of 10 years of like, you know, little here and there. That's the reality of that side of the, uh, that side of it. And there's opportunity to take control of it for yourself now that's different than it's ever been before, I think. And that's really cool to, to see. And, and like you were saying, it's, People want to support that stuff more because yes. they know mm-hmm. they yeah. know that it's that your your close knit community is really it's your biggest support network. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. It's you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, also like with running your own label too. I mean, for like a really long time, I'd only release music on other people's labels, and then at some point, I was like, you know what? I want more f- creative control because I would like not necessarily agree with like the artwork, and I was like, this doesn't represent my aesthetic, or the mastering would be like of a quality I didn't like, and I couldn't say no basically. So. Um, in running my experience running my own label, which is just a small digital band camp label, um, being able to control the process is more upfront investment, but then you just make that money like continuously, like over the years. I mean, even with the DJ Barkley thing, like I was saying, I put that up as like a free pay what you want thing. And I'm shocked at the amount of people that pay for those kind of things. I mean, whenever I see like a pay what you want, I put at least a dollar, you know, for like a single track. Um, because it, A, makes me feel like good supporting the artist. B, it like, 
adds to my collection, so you can see and have a you know running tab of that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think just like starting your own thing, like although it might be more work, it is more rewarding, um, both financially and kind of spiritually as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, let's open up for some more questions. Let's do it this way. We'll go with you and then you with the green hat. <laughs> That's a great question. I think, like, getting involved in nightlife is something that I don't think anyone really chooses to do. It's something that you're drawn to. It's music is life-changing. Let's be real. And you, you get involved in this for the love of it. And I think that one of the best things to do in the industry at large is to learn what everybody does. Yeah. From, from the porter to the manager, as much as you can to know what each job entails so you can have an appreciation for what it is. So you can also know how to value yourself in, in the end, in what that job is, where you can say, no, I don't want to do that. Right. You know, that's, that's not for me. You know, I'm not, I'm not good at that. That's, you know, I'm, listen, I am not a door person. I learned that the hard way, <laughs> you know, and it wasn't fun and it wasn't cute either. But, you know, you, you learn all this stuff and you figure it out. And within the community, I think you, you really start to, you start to see the same people over and over again. I think one of the coolest things, um, as I went to the Body and Soul reunion, um, the last one is 25 years. Everybody that I've worked with over these years was there. Wow. Security, bar staff, management, DJs, singers, everybody. Because the business goes on for a long time. Mm -hmm. And you choose to stay in it for a long time, you're going to be working with these people over and over and over again. And that's, mm -hmm. like, that's, the, that's the amazing thing about it. Like, mm. Yeah. And I think just to add on to that, like everyone has different motivations and a role to play as well. So just understanding like where everyone's perspective is like coming from, right? Like maybe you're, um, you know, the, the, let's say like you're DJing a party, but who is that party for? Is it for friends? Is it DIY? Is it like at a club? Are you working with like, uh, you know, external like booking agents or is it, you know, just internal to that sort of space? Like, I don't know how valuable this is as a, you had like maybe four different questions I want to answer, but that's just one thing that came to mind. Like just recognizing like what everyone's priorities are um, is really, I found like super, super helpful. Um, especially as we think about how to like function within, you know, a space. Um, 
and sometimes like diffuse uh, challenging um, interactions, whether that's live or you know through the negotiation process or you know just in general, um, particularly with different kinds of uh, spaces that we're in. You know, we think about what everyone's experience is going to be like. Um, yeah. So, you know, not everyone has the same uh, priorities with it. So <laughs> that's that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. I agree with both panelists. And, uh, <laughs> honestly, I forgot the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you uh, juggle different hats in the industry, whether that be producing, DJing, and throwing your own party? Um. I mean, I personally produce and DJ. I've actually never thrown a party. And actually, I was kind of curious. And I kind of want to throw a question back. Not to, like, avoid the question. That's but okay. as promoters, what have you found to be, like, a constant struggle in throwing your parties? Is yeah. it, um, you know, uncertainty if people will actually come and, like, pay and, like lose money? <laughs> or is you it? Too, you never, that never goes away. <laughs> it never, ever, ever goes away. It's the, you still feel that, even though you've had a very successful party for many no, years. No, every single party. Huh. Every <laughs> single party. And it's crazy. But I think that you have to have that. I think it's important. It's like being nervous before the gig. Mm. You know, if you're not a little bit nervous, it's also a little bit of excitement. But when you start to get, you know like complacent, like calm about things, that's when I, for myself, that's when I worry, oh no, something's off. Mm. Like, oh, maybe, maybe the music is not so good tonight right. because I'm not feeling this, you know, the energy of, mm. of that. Mm. Um, yeah, I think always being worried that nobody's going to come keeps you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. You had a question? Uh, so you're saying like are there agencies that like represent not necessarily musicians but more so like other creatives like designers etc no 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 I mean like for designers and photographers or whatever uh, is there agencies that specialize in only DJs and that kind of stuff like, I don't know I've never heard of any I think, that's, no. I think, I think it's, so. it's yeah that's interesting um that is interesting, but I think that comes down to the community aspect of it. I think it comes down to when you're hiring your friends and, mm -hmm. you know, and everybody's sort of lifting everybody else up, you know, yeah. you want to give the opportunity. There's been times when um, a friend has called me and told me that I, that they got called for the gig that I thought I was having that weekend, <laughs> that I heard, you know, that, mm -hmm. that they were getting, they were getting my residency Whoa. and you know, and it, sometimes I was like, take it. <laughs> I don't want to be there anyways. But, you know, other times, you you know, those are the people that you want to be working with. Those are the people that have your back. That's, that's the kind of stuff you look out for. And I think with the other side, of the other side of the creative stuff, look around. Like, everybody out here mm -hmm. is doing something creative. Mm -hmm. 
and it's it's New York, you know, you're going to see the best in, in everybody's field. It's really cool. That's a fact. Issa Rae always says that, that you should really look to the person next to you because you don't know what they could do to help you right. move forward yes. and, you know, right. maximize your artistry. Right. Um, let's see, we have, we'll do you, you, and then back there. Plug it. Do it now. <laughs> but yeah, basically, I'm building a platform for artists to better uh, source, sell, trade, gear, tools, equipment across all mediums. And it's built around building a circular economy for artists to better make art a lifelong practice. Mm-hmm. And so that there is essentially a less, less barriers economically for people to be in the arts and to do so at any it's called Solar Market. I launched last week. Woo! That's super fab. Congrats. Congrats. That's really awesome. That's nifty. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But my question, which is the important part here, is um, yeah, how can art, like what I'm obsessed with is, um, yeah, there's a lot of value right now in this room and in the larger city um, that goes like largely untapped. Mm-hmm. Because the way we think about just everyday life, which is like super linear. Um, so yeah, what are the things that exist in the music world? Um, and a lot of, yeah, just my inspiration for this project came from having so many friends in dance music and in nightlife. Yeah. And seeing how dance music is so community oriented in a way that does not really exist in other art forms. Like I'm an image maker, a photographer, and like, yeah, there's not the same community and like sharing. So kudos to all of you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Did anyone want to start with that question first? There's like shared community spaces where people can come together and learn from each other. Um, whether it be like an open studios kind of thing or a shared studio space you might get with a few friends and then there's that kind of exchange of ideas or in some cases, people might not have access to like, equipment, so mm-hmm. people that do have equipment, like opening up their space and saying, oh, you can you know, DJ for free for two hours here. Um, I've heard that, I know that happens like a bunch in New York, um, and I think that those things are super important. You meet people, you learn a skill, you, people teach each other, and I think that kind of like mm-hmm. peer teaching is like super important. Uh, people often think, if I have to learn a skill, I have to go to some, you know, uh, professor or teacher has been yeah. doing this for like 10 years. No, you can learn from people that are at your level too. And like, yeah. whenever I've had a friend over and we've just been DJing at my house, I'm always like, oh, what was that little trick you did? Like, can you teach me that? And then same thing will happen there. And there's an exchange of ideas there that would just not happen mm-hmm. if you're just not constantly interacting with your yeah. friends or peers or, you know, um, colleagues that do this kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I think it's impossible to do anything in a silo uh, and, and do it expansively. 
Um, so like something that came to mind when you were asking your question was like black artist database. Um, there's also like informal th threads that, you know, people share over social media, like name some like producers you think are great or like give some like, like house labels, like someone just tweeted that and everyone was just like sharing their band cams yeah. of their favorite, you know, house music for someone's like sister who was looking for, you know, but people will like tag on and be like, I'm following this cause I want to know. Um, and I feel like a lot of my um, DJing successes come through connections that I've made from people just like coming out and seeing you and you're like oh like I, I'm like recommending you for this like that's really huge so when you're then in those positions where someone's asking you hey who's like new who's popping who would be great for this like who are you know helping people like create lineups but that's only limited to how much you know right so it's just continuing to I think bringing the community together is so important because you're not going to know everyone or everything. And there may be, you know, spaces like Black Artist Database where I can just go, right? But that's always going to be incomplete because more people are, are coming through. Yeah. Um, but it's just a continuation of what we were talking about earlier, of just sharing, right? Sure. Um, and that can be kind of a double-edged sword because then it's like, well, you know, do I have to have the right, like, connections or, like, network? When you go out, like, networking is so uncomfortable, right? Like, you get to know people because you're just out. And you connect with people because, like, you're on the same kind of vibration, right? Like, you're feeling this, I'm feeling it, right? That's where a lot of the real genuine stuff comes yeah. from. But, you know, sharing other people's, like, art, like, I just see so much support within this community right now, which I think is really amazing. Like, someone told me that they live in another country and they moved out of that city because no one is supportive. Like, they did an inc incredible, like, tour in Europe, and they came back and felt like they had to apologize to people for, wow. like, being successful. So, you know, they were like, I, it's amazing to see people in your community, like, be posting your mixes or, like, sharing things, you know? And I learn about so many people in and outside of this community through others. So mm. um, I don't know how much that, like, specifically answers your question. I gave, like, one example. But um, I think it goes to show, like, we need more of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I I think first of all your idea is so cool and your platform mm -hmm. is going to be life changing for so many people mm -hmm. because that is there is a lot of the like you were saying you know oh I have to have this I have to I have to have these tools to make these things I have to know how to use them perfectly before I can right. do anything and that's that's another thing of transparency you know you got to say, listen, all of the Carry Nation stuff was made in a bedroom. All of it, you know, on a fucking laptop. That's it, you know? Yeah. It doesn't have to be fancy. In fact, most of it's not, and that's when it is really good. Mm. And that's, you know, and that's when we're getting down and dirty on the floor together, and that's when you turn <laughs> to your left, to your right, right, and you meet that person. Right. Let's, right. let's go make a record, right. <laughs> you know? And that, that's huge. Like, I see some folks in this crowd who are educators as well. Um, I myself learned how to DJ from a free workshop, like Andre was talking about. Like, hey, we have equipment here. Come in for one hour, two hours. Like, we'll show you how to use CDJs. We'll show you how to, you know, mix and play records. Like, nowadays, hosting, community, Skillshare, things like that. A lot of things happen over, you know, Twitch and Zoom, and people just made it happen. But... Um, sharing resources I think is essential yeah. um, because so many folks are talented but just it's can be prohibitive to get into the space from just a sheerly financial perspective or just access you know say you want to produce how do I do that I can watch YouTube but like it's very helpful if, you know someone is yeah. there showing me on you know equipment or helping me find the right gear where to even start um, I took a I sat in on a workshop um, from uh, 
uh, perspective of like of, of vinyl DJing, and someone made the really salient point of like just pulling records from someone else's collection <laughs> and playing them. You don't know what it is, but you right. got to figure it out. You know, trial by fire, kind of like. Are, those are the <laughs> yeah, fun games. exactly, those are exactly. The fun but games. just you know, jamming with other people, you yeah. learn tips and tricks and different ways of playing and styles you can introduce into your own yeah. um, play. That's, that's yeah. Fun. That's the that's the, the the challenging of of yourself with within the safe space with your friends that do this is really <laughs> like you know yeah. I cannot think of how many nights. That everybody just comes over afterwards and, you know, oh, hi, nice to meet you. This is the first time you're here. Okay, let's all play records. And mm -hmm. what do you know? Because all the stuff that you know is not all the stuff that I know. Right. That's yeah. a fact. And it's, you know, it's so... <laughs> <laughs> did, I, did I fuck that up at your house last time? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, quickly, big up to Jada. I really love the community Skillshare. Yes. Um, and the open decks, even I think she did a business, um, uh, a business um, kind of Q and A or tutorial last week, which I think is so helpful, and we need more of. I know she's busy, yes. but we need it. <laughs> uh, yes. The next question was Nick. Um, yeah, no, no, ask it, ask it. <laughs> Has anyone broken the radius clause? Uh, yeah. I think it's part of the fear tactic. I think it's part of the whole game yeah. is that everyone's just so scared shitless that they're not going to be asked back. And that's really like everyone just wants to be asked for the next gig, you know, mm. and it's it's scary. And that's why it's hard to dismantle. And and listen, I'll, I'll run my mouth about this forever because I don't do it anymore. I don't sign up for those gigs and I don't do it to nobody else because it's not what I want for myself. Mm. And that's where I can, you know, that's where I can shout about it. But I, I know that I'm in a unique position in that, in that state. But, you know, it's, it's not just about, you know, how many numbers of people you, we have coming through our door. We realized that stuff way earlier in the game that we didn't want that stuff done to us. If you take one second and think about it, then you'll know, you know, you know how to, how to treat everybody. <laughs> I mean, I think that the, the more, I mean, this is literally... Like, it feels like the first month we're talking about it out loud. Mm -hmm. Honestly, to honest, honestly. Whoa. Wait, what? It's <laughs> like, it's insane. And, and props to you for opening your mouth all the time. I, but you have to, and we got to do that. We got to do that too, though, is that, like, we got to support the people that are really working to make the change. Which? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Kristen, did you want to step in and add to this? That's great. Great. That's wonderful. That's great. That's wonderful. Gotcha. Yeah. But I think what. Yeah, because yeah, what necessitates that is feedback, right? Yeah. Like, you gotta 
speak up, but I think the challenge is figuring out how to speak up and overcoming that fear of like the you know potential for retaliation right what's gonna happen so i feel like that's where community then comes in right because it's like if everyone is bringing to venues like this is the reality right like if you're paying us this this is you know the reality if you're you know uh, instituting this type of like a clause or you know prohibitive like barrier that, right. that this is what the impact is like is that what we really want maybe that works maybe it doesn't maybe some places are like yep that's what we want but you know at least you know but I think a lot of times it just yeah. starts with like bringing it up and we have to get out of talking amongst ourselves and also yeah. you know and sometimes it's just the right approach yeah. right like I guess I need some more clarity on the exclusivity cost is it is it put in place because they're afraid a DJ may take their fan base and mm, go to a different yeah. club. Or, or like people more. will say, oh, well, I can't make this date, but I can make this one. I know you're playing next weekend or the next day, so I'm not going to go to this club because I'm going to go to this it's one. It's numbers. Right? It's money Number, and numbers. Yeah. Gotcha. At the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. But it can, be, it can be really tough for the in-person thing. But Sorry, Kristen. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. True. But that kind of goes but to your point a- of like some for some folks maybe that that's the difference in how they approach their artistry, right? Like I get is it. it marginally different each time or is it not? I get it. Like like when you are a band, you know, and there's a rehearsed set list. Or when you are certain DJs and there is a rehearsed <laughs> set list. <laughs> we all know plenty of those. But that's the thing, is you know, when you start to maybe stop working with venues that that do that stuff the venue sort of skews more to people that will continue to do that and the crowd changes and like i said before some things have to go away for other things to you know to happen and the changes it happens in, in so many different ways I mean, I will say also, I feel like sometimes the exclusivity clause is just in there by default, mainly for people from out of town. And then you see that as a New Yorker and you're like, what? And then there's been times where I've just been like, I'm not abiding by this. Like, you cannot put this in here. I live in this city. And they're like, oh, yeah, sorry. You forgot to take it out. So I think that you can talk back and, you know, be like, I'm not doing this. And it's not like they're going to necessarily be like, all right, well, screw you. We're not going to book you. They, can, they might just be like, okay, that's fine. You know? It does also happen, though. <laughs> so I mean, like, yeah, that's true. It's like, yeah, there's, there's many sides to that, for yeah. sure. But it is nice to hear that people do listen in some spaces. Yeah. You know, it can be hard not to think um, in the kind of totalitarian kind of way, yeah, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it, it's just, it is this. We, we are mad, but no one is listening to us, right? So... I just want to kind of reemphasize that, like some spaces, like you do find that the feedback matters. So use your voice. Yeah, um, I wanted to bring this, and this is for anybody in the room who uh, would like to answer. I follow a really dope DJ a producer on Twitter called uh, named Elijah, and he's always talking about music sustainability with his little yellow squares. Um, and last weekend, he brought up this idea of having some sort of large artist fund or artist grant where the wealthiest DJs in the scene maybe pour their money into this fund and then somehow those resources are allocated to artists that may need it for whatever they need it for to help you know power their artistry whether that means uh, money for housing money for supplies I think ideally it sounds good but how do you think we could make something like that work here in New York City? Like some sort of large-scale artist grant? Or is there something like that that already exists? Yeah. 
there's, there's, well, I mean, in, in a way, there's a okay. program called A-Slice, which is basically a program established to essentially donate part of your fee to the producers who've made the music. So the way it works is like you upload your record box history afterwards, and let's say, just to use round numbers, you made $1,000, you want to give 5% of your fee, that just takes $50 and distributes, distributes it with the artist that you played. So if you play an artist by producer X, producer X might just get two bucks for playing. And it's like, that helps redistribute the money to, you know, I think a DJ set is, of course, the DJ's doing a great job, but it's the music the producers are making that makes the whole night, right? Yeah. So giving back in that way, I think, is a huge plus, and it's one that can happen more regularly rather than just like a one-time you know, band camp or whatever purchase. Yeah. Um, and I think that idea is great, and uh, more people should do it, and it, everyone wins in this situation. Yeah, the boy, you, you wanted to say something? Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. That's the buzzword. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, yes, and then yes. <laughs> Mm. That clearly there are people like elected or voted upon a sort of like mm. have this sort of tab versus sort of being like a sort of basically 
Yes, you had a question, Bethany? Yeah. ASCAP is still around, yeah. I mean, from what I know, that that from what I know, every club pays a, pays a fee. Then that's a flat that's a flat part of their that's a flat rate. Mm -hmm. That's. But you know, you have to collect that stuff. That's really that's is tough on on smaller artists that mm -hmm. is you know the way that that's that's actually divvied out if you don't collect your stuff it just funnels up to the top five artists it's really it's not a great system you know right. mm -hmm. any more questions out there yeah um, so i've been full-time for like a year uh DJing. wow <laughs> Some people would say so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people would say so. Um, I guess, like, one thing that I will say is to never forget that you define what your success looks like. So I brought this up, like, much earlier, and we didn't really get too much into it, but just even thinking about, like, what does it mean to be DJing full-time and uh, navigating the realities of, like, how long you can do it and when that changes, what does that mean for you, right? Like... I will need to get another job because I need some more money, right? Like, I'm not independently wealthy. I don't have, like, uh, you know, money coming in from any other... Like, I'm responsible for my own, like, financial picture. And after, you know, almost an entire year of doing it, it's been great, but it's not enough to pay my rent entirely. And so how I was able to do this, speaking very frankly, was preparing for it for like over a year, mm -hmm. right? I knew I was going to leave my job because it, it made me like miserable and I was like just so super burnt out. But then once I was ready to leave, it turned out that like my DJing like career was in such a great spot where I was like, well, actually, I don't want to just, you know, take a sabbatical for like a few months and just, you know, chill, travel, do whatever, you know, I want to in my 30s, like, oh, I'm not working for a little bit of time. Like, I actually am going to keep working. I'm going to grind super hard in this area. Just focus on that and see what comes. Um, so, you know, I'm exactly where I basically like planned to be, but the realities of the economics around this make it such that like I need an additional income source because I'm not a DJ at a level where like I'm getting paid so much that I am able to, you know, support myself entirely off my DJing. That can be a yet. Yeah. You know, that can still yeah. be the goal and me finding another job, whether it's part-time, full-time, whatever, I don't want to slow down or stop my DJing. So now it's on me to make sure that what I'm doing next fits the life that I have built for myself and my art, you know? But that's the, the kind of balance and challenge. And, like, I had to kind of, like, come to a, rec a, a reckoning of, like, what does this mean? How do I feel about it? Does it mean that I've failed or that I'm not doing as well as I could be? No, absolutely not. I've made the, like, most of this time, but it's just also true. The duality of it is, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not, pay I'm not playing $600 gigs every single uh, like weekend night uh, for a hundred weekends in a year, you know, yeah. like that's not it. <laughs> so yeah. So, um, just to, just to, 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 I think that that is 
awesome that you're doing it. And I want to congratulate you for that. Mm -hmm. Same as me. Like, I'm doing a great job. And I'm proud of myself, too. But that's going to continue no matter what, like, the other, you know, income stream piece sort of looks like. So no matter what, just know you define what your own success is. And I think what it means to be full-time DJing can also really vary. Like, you can do this full-time and have it not be the only source of yeah. income or the only thing you do. Like, that was basically how I was working before. I just didn't sleep. I was working like two jobs. <laughs> exactly. right. So, you know, in this time, my Mondays are my self-care day where I just don't schedule anything. I don't do anything. I take that time off. So how can I, if I'm bringing a, you know, a job somewhere else into that, how do I still balance all the things I need? But that's my main piece of advice. Like no matter what circumstances sort of shift, um, know that you define that success for yourself. Um, and just continue, you know, putting yourself out there, connecting with different folks. Like it's always kind of come like beautifully for me but I recognize like I can be more proactive and sourcing like what are the things I really want now that I know myself I love so much the way that you're that you that you're looking at the whole the whole big picture because you want it to be long term you want it to be long term (laughs) if music is something that you love it's never going to go away and if you want to make a career out of it you have to understand that there is going to be peaks and there's going to be valleys and one will come right next to the other one Mm -hmm. as it always does in life she is karmic retribution always but that's if you know that that stuff is coming and defining success for yourself, mm-hmm. for what it is, being prepared, and I'm not talking about financially prepared, being mentally prepared for that, to know mm-hmm. that it's not a straight line right. at mm-hmm. all. It's right. not a straight line at all. And your path is the only one right. like that, period. period. That's the best piece of advice. Nobody is going to play the records the way you do. Yeah. That's all you got to remember about it. That's the thing. Be mm-hmm. remembering that you you are you alone unique. Right. And your path is your own as yeah. well. So yeah. if you're good in yourself, then it's it makes it easier looking around and not comparing yourself to other people yeah. or saying, "Oh, exactly. what are other people's definitions of success or how what might people think if I'm like, "Oh, I was full-time DJing and now I am like have another job." Like yeah. that's just the reality, oh, you know no. what I mean? <laughs> No, yeah. at least they, a, I went back. I, I, I went and walked dogs for about eight years in the middle of this whole thing, wow. and it really, you know, at the beginning of that, I was like, "Oh, what am I doing? I had been so successful." Mm-hmm. But at the end of that, it was the thing that allowed me to travel all the time and to build up another career yeah. and to come back to a place and hang on to this and, and really do both things for longer than, mm-hmm. than you think that you need to. Because, and I think this is another thing coming out of COVID that everybody really realizes about time, time being short or time being mm-hmm. really long at the same time. You, know, yeah. you never know. You never know how it's going right. to go. Mm-hmm. Um, any other questions? Oh, oh, beautiful. Okay. You and then you. Especially being in a place like New York. Oh, my God. There's so much much. talent. But New York will tell you, though. New York is very vocal. (laughs) The New York crowd is very vocal. They will tell you. Mm -hmm. I think it's just about, like, 
it takes a long time to do this, but just developing a self-confidence and a self-love of like, listen, I love these tracks, and therefore if I do, someone else probably does as well, yeah. right? And I feel like I only, I only personally got this like on year 10 out of 12, you know? Like only two years ago was I really like, I can go weird and because I like it. I know someone else's. It's not, not mm-hmm. everyone's going to like it, but someone else will, and therefore I feel fulfilled and I feel successful for that reason, so... It is just a process. Like, you just got to sit with it for a while. And there's going to be moments where you, like, hate what you do and hate what you make. And you're like, oh, I can't mix. I can't blend. But it, it will come to you if you just, like, keep at it and believe in yourself and yeah. say, like, I love this. And that's what matters. That's a fact. I love this. Yeah. It's the, I, I think it's the I love this that if you do everything, if you go into everything, every gig, mm-hmm. every track that you make, whether it's comes fully produced and released and is a huge hit or if it's only you that ever listens to it Mm -hmm. if you go into it with I love this it's all gonna work out Mm -hmm. always the path reveals itself that way it does but uh, give it time you know like you learn because of experience so just know it's not all gonna come at once like we're sharing lessons that we've learned over various amounts of time but for me there's still so much more to learn and that you still struggle with these things you know like I still get nervous before gigs like I'm just like well I was nervous before this you know <laughs> oh, same. <laughs> but um it just takes time and something that I found comfort in is the 10,000 hours point you know like I still have a long ways to go but I want this to be a part of my life for a long time like no matter what it looks like so you just put that time in and have people around you who can help you see mm what help you understand what you can't see because you're only looking you know, living from your own eyes and your own experience right like yeah. I've had friends tell me like no that was good and I'm like oh you're just being nice or like no that was trash because I'm thinking about this one blend and like hours of time and like no one thinks that you know you have to you pick you, friends with great taste yeah yeah and you have to, like our friends will be honest with you but also it, that's on you to trust your friends like tell them you know talk to them about yeah. what your insecurities are like hey I'm worried that you're just telling me that was great because you're supporting me. And, you know, I was like, tell me the honest truth. But then you have to trust that your friends are going to be honest with you. And if they're telling you it was great and they enjoyed it, mm-hmm. people you don't know, it's great and enjoyed it. Just you got to take that yeah. and continue on forward. That's okay. You know, sometimes we're our own worst enemy. It's, but it's all, it's all the mental. And uh, it can come from a good place because you care, but it can also be counterproductive. I totally agree. Um, I had called uh, this... And then you do it. Yeah, so I'm like a Danny DJ and I've only been doing it like with friends and like four friends. But like my question is kind of related to and I was super devastated when you guys all were like marketing with a huge deal like me media. But like is that what you need to do? Like you just need to like reach out to somebody to get gigs. Like what is like the next step to like go from like if you're just planning out parties for friends to like the like That's a good question. I think that this business ends up being more of a network than you realize. And people like to give jobs to people they like to hang out with. You want to go dancing with people that you like to hang out with and people that are fun and people that inspire you. And then your friend introduces you to the next person and the next person and the next person down the line. I mean, honestly, I know it's really like it's... it's, it's simple, but it's go out. Going out 
is what helps you to get gigs. Being out more than social media, way more than social media, mm-hmm. being a part of the community, going to support mm-hmm. other people's gigs, they will support you. And that's... Mm-hmm. For sure. And we don't want it to be, like, devastating. I think the, like, marketing piece is just, like, we share a lot over social media. You can go and find yourself, but sometimes it helps you know, sharing with people who you know. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's just texting it. Fly- Sometimes that's yeah. way more effective. Like, I don't see people's flyers because they're buried behind selfies. You know, I don't <laughs> even know what's going on. It's like, oh, that's a cute pic, but I'm not reading the caption. You know what I mean? So find what works for you. But I definitely agree with Nita. Like, there's really something to be said for just being a part of the community. But it's like networking. Personally, I find networking, like, from a professional sense, the definition of networking that I learned really, like, uncomfortable and so weird and gross. It's like, I'm only talking to you because I want something from you, mm. not the vibe. You know? Like, is, not yeah, the vibe. So you want to approach it in a way that's, like, you're going to the things that you really enjoy and you strike up conversations and you learn and it doesn't have to be so transactional um, if you don't want yeah, it to Yeah, creating be. a network and yeah. not networking. You mm-hmm. know? It's, you, you know, you create the web mm-hmm. of... You know, I mean, totally. we've we've known each other a very short time. I I see you all everywhere all the time. We've known <laughs> each other quite a long time. I play records all the time. Now we've like, only met for the first time tonight. We, yeah, we just <laughs> met for the first time tonight. We were introduced years ago and mm. and just have been musical, you know, fans of each other. I guess it's yeah. like it's yeah. it's it's yeah. all different. It's all different ways of doing it. Yeah, but, but also, you know, you can... I'm sorry to cut no, you no, off. No, go ahead. Go you ahead. can lean on your friends, too. Yeah. Like, the very first things I started doing were with friends, like, for friends things. Like, a very chill Wednesday happy hour, where it's also space for me to, like, learn how to perform or get comfortable being out in public. Like, it's nerve-wracking, you know? But I felt like I was in a safe and comfortable space to do that. With Sweet Kicks, it was the same. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I was, like, playing a really long extended set... And I played a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have tried in the club, but I was like, this is what I like. And I know my friends are here and they're digging it and it sounds amazing <laughs> on the system. And we haven't danced in like two years. So like, let's do it, you know? So um, I say all that to say, just uh, don't forget the power of like friends, you know, do something together, yeah. reach out to folks you might know, see like how to go about trying to inquire about the right like space to do a thing. But you have an idea, like, go for it. Like, there's a lot of space and people are interested in, you know, new things. The Carrie Nation is a 10-year-old party, but it is still based on dancers that have been since my first dance floor. And that's, the, that's I think, the biggest takeaway of what this whole thing is, is built upon. For me, is what it needs to stay built upon um, for it to continue in, in mm-hmm. the right direction. But it is... It is is friends and family first. Mm-hmm. Um, Devoy, did you have a question? Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was to add on to what the last gentleman said about um, uh, like knowing, uh, like maybe a progress thing. I, I think it's just uh, really the immersion and like Nita said, going out. And, and if you look at the history of dance music, especially, it's like. It's, for me, looking back at it, I think of the 90s, I just think of like the community aspect was like so huge and the producers and the DJs and the relationship between the community and the parties. Mm-hmm. And it's like um, knowing what uh, really influences you and then you gravitate towards it and then you find some kind of um, like barometer on where you are in that 
sense mm-hmm. and you can find like say a mentor or a producer you really like and kind of build upon those kind of things like in a direction that you're um, fond of so to say and then mm-hmm. all the kind of community things kind of go with that it's all really related to even the last thing you like all really mm-hmm. yeah um, ooh, are we over time right now? We're, we got five minutes. <laughs> I had a question for Nita. Oh, um, but that's wait, a good question. Cleo, you had a <laughs> question? Um, yes. Um, my question is: As you guys grew in your career, how did you guys stay genuine to yourself through like expectations of others, of clubs, of like pretty much like everybody else in your mama? That's a good question. Mm, that's a great question. For me, for me, that took time. You know, like, and it took time because uh, it takes time to grow your understanding of self as an artist, right? You got to, like, sit with yourself. And it took a while to really kind of, like, okay, I'm trying different things, like, that sort of positive, but what, um, who am I? You know, and how do I bring the core tenets of me into whatever I'm doing, no matter what I'm I'm playing? Um, I think that's what I try to to focus on. Um, but that took time to even be brave enough to do it. COVID really, honestly, kind of did it. I was like, there's no time to waste. And I think I've seen plenty of examples that highlight how much people resonate and connect with you because you're being you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where the comparison, comparing to other people or look, there's, it's one thing to be like influenced by other folks or like take inspiration from other people. But at the end of the day, I think the longevity comes from you just putting yourself out there because that's what people really um, connect with. And I've found myself less engaged as an artist when I kind of play too much to what I think the crowd wants or what I think people are looking for, like spending too much time. Like I'm trying to get this kind of like result when I should just go from a place of like pure integrity but for myself um and it takes some like time and bravery and examples i think of other people doing that like i see people doing it more and i'm like oh like i could do that too you know so it's definitely a thing that i see um happening a lot more um around but for me i also just try to be like a kind like nice person you know that's how i was raised i'm from the south we're polite we're courteous to people like it goes and the path, you know, you should, yeah, you just that's what it is. Like some people are not nice, and I'm like, yo, I don't want. Like, I, don't want to I don't get it, but I also don't. You know, it's like there's there's no space for some things in the kind of spaces I'm trying to be in. Yeah. You know, so it's easier when you're not bumping up against. I'm trying to break into a space that is like inherently like antithetical to what I really like. Yeah, or who I really am. Um, but yeah, just try to move with like kindness and consideration for other people I think it goes a long way I think like listening to your gut too there's a time in my career where I was uh, making a certain kind of music and getting booked for shows but like not really liking it and then finding myself thinking like why am I doing this and then taking a bit of time off like even if it's just like a month or two off just to like reset and then trying to step, like, figure out what you are also into mm-hmm. and then starting to do that and I think that you'll realize that um if you are very passionate about something you are doing, people will see that and people will respond well, you know? Um, even with something like, if you like dancing behind the decks, right? And yeah. you feel shy and awkward about doing it, <laughs> screw it, do it. Because people will see that and they'll start dancing harder because of that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's just, you know, tr- like 
it's really difficult to not be shy if you're a shy person, but just try and break out your shell and just say, like, let me just try this just once and see how it goes. And generally it goes well, I think, when you make, yeah. take those risks. There's, there's one piece of advice that I always give all the DJ children that come through, and that is never pack a record in your bag that you don't love, and you will never play a record that you hate. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, I think, when it comes down to comparing and what I should be playing for this or what I should not. If everything, there's, you know, there's a ton of music out in the world and there's things from every genre. You pack it like you love it and you will always play it like you love it. It will always bring you back to that moment of your favorite song and mm-hmm. everybody feels that. That's what everybody feels. Mm-hmm. They know when you're faking it. That's facts. And... It's just, you know, always pack what you love and never yeah. play a bad set. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. that. Um, quickly, before we go, because I'm holding you guys way over time. <laughs> I'm interested, Nina, when you got that call from Bay, <laughs> what was going through your mind? Okay, listen, and because you, you set it up that it was coming, and this <laughs> is, I think, and this is the thing. I didn't get the call from Beyonce. <gasps> I made that mix for myself to play at my party. Wow. And I was here at the 24-hour nowadays talking to Byrell, and we were, you know, we're like, oh, we've been doing this for so long. And, you know, and Byrell was like, yeah, just last week I was like, you know, when am I going to be legends? And the phone rang. And I kid you not, 20 minutes later, I got a message. They were like, oh, we think we're going to put this out, like, tomorrow. <gasps> wow. So, you know, it's, it's why you do it. You do it for the love of it, and then, you know, and then the rewards come, you know? Wow. And, and if you don't, and you're the only one that listens to it, man, you made some great records for yourself. <laughs> you know, wow. You know, so they, they heard the track somewhere and decided to call you, or? You know, you can make something happen for yourself. I was <laughs> I did not, that, you know, I didn't get it out as quickly as possible, but, you know, but it was for me to play on my dance floor for, yeah. you know, for my people, and that was it, and, you know, and they saw it, and that's, you know, yeah. that's how it happens. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's it, yeah? You guys look tired. You're ready to go home. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for coming to the first club management live. Hopefully not the last. Uh, but thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks, yes. Shannon.